three. All right, we are talking about relationships again. I think we're going <laughs> to... Thank you, honey. My wife loves me. I think we're going to be talking about it for uh, another three weeks. But this is the deal. I just want to encourage you guys, if you have heard these teachings before, um, or you feel like you're too old for this, or like you think I'm talking just to high schoolers, it's not true. Because this is the thing that I know, is that every single one of you, okay, the vast majority of you in here will become married one day. And who you unite yourself to for the rest of your life will affect the quality of your life always. It'll affect how much you grow in the Lord or how much you don't grow in the Lord. It'll affect how emotionally happy you are. It'll affect even your, your income level, your, your attitude, your children, um, so on and so forth. It is a big deal. And the vast majority uh, of us know like, some horrifying statistics about um, marriages ending in divorce. And we don't know like, exactly because that's, you know, statistics are statistics. But we do know that it's way too many. We all know people that have divorced, correct? So it could happen to us. And some of us have the attitude of, well, it's okay if I divorce. If that person's not making me happy, I'll leave them, and that's not a big deal. But the fact of the matter is, I know a lot of divorcees, and I know that it's not a light thing, even if they thought it was before they got divorced. It's not a light thing to know that you, you have a failed marriage. So today we're going to be talking specifically about guarding the heart. And that's the passage my wife read. I'll read it to you one more time. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. There's another passage, um, there's another uh, uh, version, and it says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. That probably makes a little bit more sense. For it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. All right? So I'm going to start off with a story, and some of you guys have heard this story, but the fact is, um, this story is too common, I think, for me not to tell it. I had a, a good friend when we, my wife and I were in YWAM. Um, YWAM, it's, uh, if you don't know what it stands for, it's youth with a mission, but people joked around and called it young women after men. Um, because the, the it, I don't know, in missions, it's like there's twice as many guy, uh, girls as there are guys. So whenever guys walk through the door, the girls have their little radars. They're like zooming in. They pretend like they're eating or just like hanging out, but then like guys walk in and they're checking them out. And my, my small group, because I was a small group leader, my small group, their first complaint, seriously, our, their first complaint when we had small group session, they're like, what is up with the girls? They keep touching us. And, you know, some of you guys are like, oh, that sounds nice. But, like, what they said was, like, these girls would be creep, creepy. They would come up and they would hug them and say, oh, my name is whatever, Patricia, whatever. And then they would hug and then they would hold. <laughs> and they, they, the guys would just be like, uh, okay, you know, back up, lady. You know, and they're just like, what? That's how they were in YWAM. So if you're, if you're a single, single guy and you want to get married, that's the way to place to go. <laughs> they will hunt you down. Um, anyway, so this girl, um, she was in YWAM too. She was very, very attractive, very beautiful girl. She meets another attractive uh, dude. This was in, in Florida. And he was kind of like the surfer dude, like wavy hair, wore board shorts all the time and surf shirts. And he was really cool. And he called people like dude, right? So he was very attractive to her. I don't know why, but uh, she thought that was attractive. And so they hung out one night. They just met. They hung out and they spent the entire night on the porch. In Florida, they call them lanai's. It's like a screened-in porch. And they sat and they talked. And they're both Christians. They both love Jesus. And they were just like, this is amazing. I've, I feel like I found like the one. And they're telling each other this. Like it, it's like tangled. 
you know, not tangled, what's that, um, frozen, you know, like we finished each other's sandwiches, like that's what it was like, they, they had this magic between them, and they're like, I really feel like God's telling me that I'm supposed to marry you, and they, they said this on the first night, they stayed up, and it was like four in the morning, they had this revelation from God, because they were sleepy, God had told them that they were the one, and then the next day, they were like, I don't know, they were like prancing, whatever people in love do, they were prancing through the streets, telling everybody of their great love and how God has brought them the one. But then, around a couple weeks later, she started to notice things about this dude. He had major anger issues. Major. Like crazy angry. Like you need therapy angry. And she was crazy jealous. And so anytime she would do something that he didn't like, they would get in these huge arguments, close to the point where us dudes were like watching this guy just in case we have to beat him down if he ever tried to hit her, right? It was like that. It was like a tense situation. And every one of us in, in, in Youth with a Mission, we knew. We were just like, you're not meant to be together, you know? But they were just, she was so like, and she would come and talk to me. She's crying like, I know that God made him for me. And like she was like really like obsessed, even though she knew like he was horrible, but she wouldn't listen. And eventually uh, it came to the end where they actually got engaged. And right before they got engaged, something happened and they broke up and he shaved his head and moved to some crazy ministry that like healed demons and stuff like that. Like he shaved his head. He looked like a Hare Krishna. Like it was insane. Like this guy was nuts. And she comes to me sometimes, like every so often, she's like, Howard, thank you. Thank you. You know? Because, like, my wife and I were encouraging them to break up. Because he was psycho. He was psycho. You know, I like the guy. I mean, I don't like the guy, but I like the guy, like, in Jesus, like, as a Christian. But this is the perfect example of someone that does not guard their heart. And when we're talking about in Scripture what it means, guard your heart, heart is this interesting thing in the Bible because if you do a word study, a word study is basically you look at all of the, the types, uh, the, all the times that the Bible uses the word heart, you begin to discover God's uh, meaning for heart. God's meaning for heart is not your feelings. It's like the essence of who you are. It's where your soul resides. It's the issues of life our actions, works, pursuits, all proceed from the heart. Uh, for those of you guys in journals, you guys probably want to write this down. Proverbs 4.23, which is the passage we're talking about today. Matthew 6.21. Get it? Get it down. Matthew 6.21. 12.34. Still in Matthew, so you don't have to rewrite that. Quick. 12.34. And then 15.18. What we do in word and deed is, first of all, a product of what we are on the inside. And what Jesus is constantly talking about, when you see this with the Pharisees, the Pharisees on the outside have everything going for them. They had everything going for them. They, they, you know, they would even take their herbs, or if you're British, herbs. They would take their herbs and they would parse them out and then give 10% to the temple. Like that is like holy, right? That is like holy. That's the kind of people they were, and Jesus was ripping them to shreds because they missed the entire point. Because what Jesus wanted was the heart. And he would t- take these passages and he would say, this is in Matthew 5, they'd say, you heard it said. And he was talking about what the Old Testament said, the law said. You heard it said, but I say to you. He says, you, I, uh, you heard it said not to murder. But I say any of you that looks at a man with hate has committed murder in his heart. And it's the same. 
Because Jesus is all about the heart. This heart thing is the essence of who you are. And when it says in Proverbs 4.23 to guard your heart, it says guard your essence. Why is it important to guard our essence? What do you notice about yourself? On the winter retreat, you are full of Jesus. Right? You're like singing holy, yes. Every, like, just like any note, it's just like you fill your heart with joy. You're like, I am so close to the Lord right now. But what happens one week, one day, one afternoon away when you play, start playing league again? I don't know how to play league. It's just like this. <laughs> Whatever you league people do, right? You start playing or you listen to that new Justin Bieber track, right? My mama doesn't like you and she likes everyone, right? All of a sudden your heart starts to move and drift. Uh, that song, Come, Come Thou Found, it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Right? We are prone to wander. That's what our heart does. Why do we guard our heart? Because we're prone to wander. Every time that you guys are doing well, you're like, yes, me and Jesus. Boom. Jesus is my homeboy. Boom. But then you, you do something different. You, just, you hang out with the wrong crowd. You, you mess up. You sin. You lose your temper. You're mean to somebody. You disrespect your parents. Blah, blah, blah. Whatever happens. You don't read your Bible. You don't wake up feeling like Jesus at all. All of a sudden, you're just like, I'm, me and Jesus is awkward. Like He's kind of mad at me, I think. And I'm, I don't know what to say to him. And then you drift. That's why we guard our heart. Now, this is the thing. We guard our heart from ourselves, right? Because we're prone to wander, which is why we talk about community, which is why we're talking about coming to church and worshiping together as a family, why we talk about serving in ministry, because you stop thinking about yourself. But we have to guard our heart from the outside. Now, the biggest problem with guarding our heart from the outside in your age is... The ladies. Uh, for, for guys. And then the, I don't know what you guys call boys. The boys? The boys. It just doesn't sound as sexy. The ladies and then the boys. So, like the boys, right? That is hard because what you do, what you do, your hormones are like reaching out. Reaching out. And then their hormones are reaching out and they, they clasp hands. It's in the form of your eyes as chemicals flood through your brain. And you feel like you're on crack because some boy looked at you a certain way and you looked at that boy a certain way and you start to palpitate. <laughs> right? Am I right? How many of you guys ever felt that? I feel all, I love that feeling. When I look at my wife, <laughs> just kidding, just because it's weird. All right, but it's not weird, it's romantic. I'm trying to be more romantic. Okay, never mind. All right, so... The deal is this, is that we have to guard our heart from the outside because the problem is when we let anybody in any time, we end up like that young YWAM girl who thought God had told her. She really wasn't about, it wasn't about Jesus at all. It was really about her chemicals in her brain and her feelings. She just wanted to feel love. And the vast majority of us come from broken families in some way or some form where we feel like there's an absence of love and acceptance and identity of who we are. And so we look for love on the outside because it feels so good to be cared for when somebody looks at us and says, you are special to me. That is a wonderful feeling. And so we crave it. And so instead of guarding our heart, we're like, open the door, come on in. And then, you know, one guy like, I don't want to be here. He stumbles out. You're like, come on in, you over there, I'll take you. He comes in and he stumbles out of your life or you're like, ooh, I don't like him. Hey, how about you? You look interesting, come on. And that's what your heart is. And people are like, oh, I don't know what, what, the, what, what, what life is about. I don't understand boys. I don't under-. You don't understand your heart. You just opened the door and said, hey, come on. 
You can do whatever you want. And I described it to my, my daughter, Ella, because she's starting to question all about love. She's a seventh grader. And, and, and we were talking. She's like, why does it matter to, like, we need to guard our heart? And I said, it's like something precious that you had made with your hand. Maybe like some piece of ceramic pottery. Right, Kudo? Right? And you made it. But you made it really thin and really frail, but it's still beautiful and you're so proud of it. Right? And then you hand it over to Max. Max behind you. Max, yeah, big hand Max, right? He holds on to this, and as soon as, he, as soon as Kudo turns away, he starts like messing with it, turning it upside, setting it down, putting it on the edge of the table. Right? He's not being careful with it. Then all of a sudden it breaks. Right? And we're surprised. Kudo should not be surprised. Right? Because Max, he doesn't like ceramics, I guess, or something. Kudo should not be surprised. But we do that all the time. And we read these magazines and commentaries about articles about how to have the best love of your life and all that stuff. But we have no idea how to protect our hearts. It's nonsense. We just give away our frail, our, 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 our frail hearts and just let people crush them. And so how do we guard our heart? That's how we're going to talk about it. How do we guard our heart? Whether you're in college, whether you're in medical school, whether you're in elementary school, junior high, it's the same thing. We have to guard our heart. But this is the thing. There's a balance. We have to guard our heart in a way that we don't close people out, but we don't invite them in to mess around in our hearts. You get it? We don't close people out because this is what community is. This is what love is, right, Kyung? I love Kyung. And as dysfunctional as Kyung is... <laughs> I want him to be a part of my life, but I do not let him mess with the essence of who I am. I create boundaries to keep him from messing with the essence of who I am. But the problem is when you're in love or those chemicals are flooding through your head and you're like, like, like on crack, it's really hard to keep those out. It's hard to be who you are, who, who God created you to be without being messed up completely by another person. All right, so how do we do it? I'm going to use my handy-dandy slide. Boom. Oh, that was the big idea from last week. Remember, relationships have the most potential to succeed with God at the center. This is what guarding your heart is all centered on. We know that God knows relationships more than anybody else because he created us. All right, so number one, get God and get in godly counsel. If, you're not, if you don't have a strong relationship with the Lord... Now, I'm not saying that if you're not a Christian, you have to be a Christian to have a good relationship but I think it's really, really difficult because the thing is, your mindset is skewed. When you have a humanistic mindset, everything, all of the logic that you base your relationship on tends to be a little bit wonky because human beings are at the center. When human beings are at the center, it naturally feeds our self-centeredness. Does that make sense? Like you hear it in magazine articles, or I, I, I listen to this podcast, and it's really crude, don't listen to it, so I'm not even going to tell you the name. But he talks, he's giving advice to people that call in. It's a podcast. He says, hey, you know, this, this, this is happening and they're making me really unhappy. And the guy's like, and this is like, this is supposed to be this really good um, relationship columnist person, whatever. They say, hey, if that guy's not making you happy or that girl's not making you happy, you need to leave her. You need to do you. Need to do you. Now, when it comes to abuse, maybe that's true. Right? But the fact of the matter is, what is he feeding? He's not even dealing with the issue of his heart or her heart. He's dealing with the person not making her happy, as if our relationships are to make us happy. That is a very, 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 we're going to talk about this weeks later, but that is a very small aspect of who we are as relationships. That my wife is not responsible for my happiness, and I'm not responsible for her happiness. Our response to one another, right, is that I'm supposed to love her like the church. Like Christ loved the church. And she's supposed to serve me. 
Now, I know that sounds kind of weird, but we'll talk about what that means, okay? It's very, very different. It's not self-centered. It's not humanistic. It's not about human desire being in the center of a relationship. It's very different. All right, so get God and godly counsel. You guys know people that would, would be able to tell you, hey, that guy's give, I have a red flag. That person, I don't know if that person's ready. Or I don't even know if you're ready. Right, we talk about this a lot. A lot of people don't like my, my views on relationships because I say you probably shouldn't be dating in high school. And we'll talk about that later in the second point, or third point. But you look at people that you know that are godly that have good relationships, marriage relationships, not dating relationships. Because on the outside, they might look like they're doing good, but on the inside, they're maybe not. You see what I'm saying? So you look at people that are, have good relationships. Get God and godly counsel. The godly offer good counsel. They teach right from wrong. They have made God's law their own so they will never slip from His path. They are grounded in God. That's what you're looking for. That's Proverbs 37.30. If you want to write that down, anybody that's writing. All right, 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? Doesn't that sound like what we were talking about with guarding your heart? Right? A lot of you guys are like, oh, but if I date that guy, maybe he'll become a Christian. Or like if he has a Bible in his house, you're like, oh, I ask him, I ask you like, hey, you know, the guy you like, is he a Christian? Oh yeah, he's a Christian, he has a Bible. But you know. Or they, or, or, or they, they've been to church before. Or maybe they just attend a church, attend church. Which is probably better than not attending a church, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're a Christian. Like you have to be honest with yourself. If you're serious about your relationship with the Lord and growing in, in your relationship with the Lord, you have to know that when you connect with somebody that's not a Christian, they will pull you away. Not because they mean to. Not because they're against Christianity. They might be all for it. But they are not going to be stoking that fire within your heart. I want to be... We were talking about Paul and, and when he was dying, right? He was going to be beheaded by the government of Rome. This is in, in the end of 2 Timothy. We were talking about this in college group. And he says, I fought the, uh, the fight. I ran the race. I finished well. And my desire, and for all of you, is that now we're just not Christians and on fire for Jesus when we were in high school and college, but that our entire life, that we affect the kingdom of God. We affect this earth because we love the Lord. And because our marriages, we love each other and in the Lord. And we have kids and we raise them to love the Lord. Because we will change the world in that way. But if you're just like, ah, oh, you know, I don't know if anybody will like me. Maybe that guy that's an un- unbeliever, maybe, maybe he's the only one I got. No, trust the Lord. Because there will come a time. I have a family member. She, she married a guy who's not a believer. The guy lied. He said he was a believer. But we all, I mean, you know, like it's obvious when you're not a believer. And now he doesn't go to church with her. Uh, she, uh, she actually tried to commit suicide. And uh, the, the, the guy didn't have any compassion or pity. You think that's a dysfunctional relationship? Like, this is reality, man. Life is hard. Life is hard anyway. But then you have somebody that you unite with under the same vision. I was talking to, I think, Fish about this, about my wife and I. We have the same vision in our life. I know what my life is called to be. I know that I'm called to disciple young people. That's my passion. It's my passion. And my wife wants everything to be a part of that. She's getting her Bible teaching degree right now because she loves discipling people, because we're on the same team. Our whole lives are pointing this way. If her life was, I want to be settled, I want to have a big house, I want to be rich, then she would, <laughs> we would not, not happy. 
she would be angry at me because I'm a, I'm a total failure in that area. But because of our united vision and it being in Christ, it's like every single day, every hardship becomes a joy when, when, when we're together. Does that make sense? That has to do with boundaries. Don't yoke yourself with unbelievers. Don't attach yourself with unbelievers. Don't let unbelievers to come into that part of your, your heart, your holy of holies of your heart, the kitchen of your heart. And I know that some people have a loose view on it, but I know how important my faith is to my wife and how important her faith is to me. We continually stoke each other. Man, there are times when I don't feel like I'm even a Christian. I'm just struggling with my faith, just struggling to pray, struggling to read the Bible. And my wife just comes in. She's like, hey, you know what I read today? What did you read? She was reading his Psalms and it just really hit me. Blah, 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 blah. Like, I'll read it. I'll read it. I'm like, oh, this is nice. This is encouraging. Thank you, honey. You know, and then I start feeling better. And then there are times when she's struggling. She's like, I'm the worst mom in the world. She really thinks that. She has five kids. She's going to school full time. And she works. And she thinks she's the worst mom. And I'm just like, woman? But then I say it in a godly way. Woman. (laughs) And then I start to encourage her and how faithful God is in, in her life and how much the kids love her. Love. They love her. You know, and I encourage her. It's us on the same team. Setting boundaries. This is not easy because boundaries is not cool, right? Boundaries is, means you actually have to have some self-control. And I know that self-control is not cool because nobody, um, nobody gets excited when you start talking about discipline. All right. Some of you guys remember this because you're old. Because it's, two year, uh, it's been two years. All right. These are scientific terms, guys. All right, so first, when it comes to boundaries, right, you have to decide where you are on this spectrum. Why? Why do you decide before it happens? Yeah, because things get heated, right? Heated in the middle of it. So you're not going to be like... uh, Maybe I'll be at holding hands. And you're holding hands. You're like, oh, crap. Okay, well, maybe I'll be super holding hands. In case you're wondering what's super holding hands, it's like holding hands, but like, you know, gripping, and then, you know, your arms, like you're touching the, you know, just whatever, okay? So it's more than just holding hands. It's kind of like, you know, being really affectionate. Maybe, maybe a little snuggle, right? Then, then you're like snuggling. You're like, oh, crap. Well, and then, then you, maybe you decide, okay, well, I'm going to stop at kissing. And then she kisses you. You're like, dang, I'm not stopping here. Let me tell you something, right? Uh, that's not what happened to me and my wife. <laughs> but she's really good. Okay, anyway, so um, kissing, right? And then you got super kissing, right? This is the dishwasher. You're <laughs> or the garbage disposal or uh, <laughs> whatever. I was going to say something about braces, but then like if you have braces, braces are cool after. I, don't, I, don't, I never had braces, as you can tell. All right. And then touching over the clothes, right? Touching over the clothes. This is where, when it gets dangerous. Everyone's kind of getting serious. Because, like, the dishwasher was kind of cute. But then touching over the clothes, and you know that's not leading anywhere good. And then you got touching under the clothes. Naughty. <laughs> Naughty. N- no. No, senor. All right? And then you got sex. This is the progression. Now, this is the thing. One night stands, it's like holding hands. Actually, you might not even hold hands. <laughs> One night stands. But you hold hands and you have sex, and boom, you're done. Game over. Conquest. Right? 
Yeah. That's the one night stand. But like, let's say you love Jesus and you're like, oh, but you know, I don't want to, I don't want to just use her or whatever, you know? So you start with a holding hands and you keep it there for a long time, like a day. <laughs> right? Because it's so good and you feel the spirit between you and this person, right? And then you super old hands, right? And then what ends up happening is the, when you don't make boundaries, when you don't set boundaries, right? You end up slipping really fast. And I tell, I tell you this, because this is what my failure was, my wife's failure, people that I've known, Christians all their life, is it's really hard to go backwards. So you make it all the way to, to touch under the clothes, it's really hard to go back to holding hands and staying here. That's why boundaries are so important. Right? Now, there's other practical boundaries. This is just kind of like a fun boundary. Fun because we get to talk about, like, super kissing. But there are other boundaries, too, like time. And this is, like, an interesting thing um, because a lot of people don't think of it this, in, in this way, but how much time you spend with the person alone, privately. Right? And I'm not talking about just physical, but I'm talking about emotional, just like that person who stayed up all night long talking about deep things. It's really, really difficult when your conversations talk about your future together because you end up talking about marriage. You end up talking about if they want kids, right? If they're both like, like you, like you and her are like, and you're, you really want to have a relationship and you really want to be married, you're not just doing it. You're not, you're not a player. It's really easy to start talking about your future together and that's your heart just opening up because you're not ready for that yet. So boundaries like how much time you spend alone, privately, talking about deep things. Also, what time you talk. Like two in the morning, you think Jesus is talking to you, but it's because you're sleepy, you know? Or you're just so loopy because you're sleepy and all these hormones are flowing through your brain. You have no idea what's really going on, right? And this happens with college students just like high schoolers. So just because you're older than 20 doesn't mean that this, that this isn't for you because my wife and I, when we got married, we were 22, 21, 22. We were 22. We just turned 22, right? And still we were failing. It's not easy. You have to be vigilant about these kind of things. Um, One of the things I think that was really, really helpful is choosing. When in choosing how... Can somebody bring this to me? Uh, I'm going to get the markers. Josh, will you bring that uh, to the center? When choosing... what level of intimacy, physical or emotional intimacy, this, 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 this chart has really, really helped me, okay? So try to remember this. But it's according to your commitment level. You set your level of intimacy according to your commitment level to the person. Thank you. And I'm not really good at this stuff, but Michelle really is. So commitment... Okay? So friend. Um, what's after friend? Oh, best friend. Yeah, BFF. Then what's after BFF? Super BFF. Okay, no. <laughs> Boyfriend uh, slash girl. You guys get the idea. Uh, fiance. And then marriage. Okay? Okay? Those are the levels of commitment. So when you talk about, can you see this, guys? So when you talk about time, how much time you're going to spend with that person, alone, intimate time, right? 
If you are married to them, it is totally appropriate for you to go all there, all the way. Spend as much time as, a po- as possible, right? Fiance, here, that's appropriate because you're going to marry that person, right? Boy, um, and some of you guys will disagree because you're like, that boy better be behind friend or best friend, but because <laughs> you get jealous, I get it. But, you know, that in general, this is kind of what ends up happening. The best friend kind of takes the back seat, right? What about physical intimacy? Oops. Physical intimacy, same thing, right? If you are a friend, you're only going to be that intimate, right? But the problem is what we do is that we go all the way. We are completely 100% physically intimate, meaning sex, even when we're not married. So we'll be a friend, best friend, or a boyfriend, and we'll go all the way. But you keep your intimacy level at whatever level you are at. Okay? Now, what I'm saying about intimacy, physical intimacy, with a, a fiancé, it's still, according to the Bible, it's still not sex. And it's not everything un, uh, but sex. It's not one of those. But it's that understanding that you are going to be married to that person. Right? My wife and I, our, 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 our desire before we got married, uh, when we were courting, courting me- meant that we didn't want to have any physical contact with one another, physical like... I think we just held, we were trying to just hold hands, right? And um, and I went to her dad and asked permission if I could court her, in hopes of marrying her, right? Um, our desire was that we were going to keep our physical intimacy at friend level, at holding hands. I don't know if you hold hold hands with your friends, but but if you did, this is the level we wanted to hold our intimacy level at, right? Because I knew that in my heart I wanted to go all the way. That's my natural desire, right? Because I'm a guy. Right? But I knew that it would be safe if I was here. But this is, also, this is all, always a really good uh, um, mindset to have. Uh, finance. Right? Um, influence. Whatever you want to do. As much as you are committed is where you allow that type of influence in your life. Does that make sense? Now, the second thing, or the third, the third point is you've got to understand what love is. Now, this is what's really, really hard. Most of you guys, your definition of love is an emotion. I feel in love with that person. I feel love. But I, I, want, you to, I want you to hear... Um, did I put it up here? Yes. This is, this is Paul's definition of love. <clears throat> Think about your boyfriend or your girlfriend in the past. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It, does, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. It doesn't say love obsesses. It doesn't say love creates deep emotion in your heart. It doesn't say any of that, correct? This love is character. And our definitions of love are so skewed by society, we think love is this deep feeling. And then when that feeling goes, you know what we say? I don't feel in love with you anymore. It's different. It's over. We diagnose the way we should be committed according to our uh, feelings. But you know what the problem is? Sometimes I feel like pho. Sometimes I feel like pizza. And it could could change in the same conversation. Sometimes I feel hot. Sometimes I feel cold. 
Sometimes I like you, sometimes I don't like you. Sometimes you're funny, sometimes you're annoying. If I let my feelings diagnose the level of my commitment, I will fail. Love, according to Paul and according to the Bible, is character. Love is patient. Are you patient? You say you love somebody, I have this deep feeling, but are you patient with that person? Oh, maybe you're in the obsessed state, so that everything they say is cute and funny. But after a while, love is, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It's not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. So when you're trying to get in that girl's pants, is that love? It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Ladies, when your boyfriend pisses you off the, the umpteenth time, do you keep records? Love does not delight in evil when you hurt the, your person. Because there are times when I've been so broken in myself that when my girlfriend made me mad and she got hurt, I was happy. That's not love. That was the farthest thing. I was using an emotion or that heat, that lust to diagnose whether I was committed or not. And if it wasn't firing on all cylinders, I'm, I'm done, man. I, I got other people to hang out with. I got other prospects. This is a fearful thing when you do not align yourself with the biblical uh, idea of love. So you just give your heart away, give your heart away, calling it love, and you are, you are slandering the, the Bible's uh, word of love. And I know, I, I get it, man, because all of our love songs, Justin Bieber sings about love. So it's jammed in our head. We think love is an emotion. But this is the thing as Christians, for you guys that are new believers, for those of you guys that are old believers, you need to reform the way you think about love completely in your head because you will have a difficult time loving your spouse because there will come a time 10 years down the road when your, your wife has stretch marks, when she doesn't look as pretty as that she used to be because she's really tired and she's been up with the babies. Or she's snapping at you because you're lazy and you, you don't want to grow up and you want to play video games all night long. Because that's what's still happening. There's a neighbor across the street of mine. He plays video games all night long. He's a grown man. Right? And your wife starts snapping at you. Is your love going to be the character of love or is it going to be the emotional love? Because if it's the emotional love, you will leave. Or she will leave you. Or she will find somebody else. And she'll call it love. She'll say, I'm sorry I cheated on you, but he was my soulmate. You never loved me. That's scary. Redefine love. Redefine love in your heart. Switch the way you think about love. And then the last one is timing. You've got to learn timing. And this is why high school, that's why I say high school is not a time to date. Because you just want to date. You just feel these feelings. All these hormones are flooding through your head. And society says it's okay. Parents say it's okay. Parents are like, oh, yeah, it's okay that my daughter's dating. You know how many of my friends lost their virginity when they were like 13, 14? It's because of moms and dads saying, oh, yeah, it's okay to date. Just go ahead. Have a good time. It's so much fun. They'll go to the movies. Isn't this cute? And they'll Snapchat it. Their own kids. And they're losing their virginity. Because the parents are, are, are not mindful and so don't get the timing right because what your parents allow you to do or what society allows you to do. Get the timing right because you know what love is now. Love is not that emotion. Love is meaning whoever I'm with, I want to honor. And I know that when I'm in a, in a place of transition, when I know I'm going to go to college out of state or go to college somewhere far away, or I know that I'm not fully formed as a human being and I don't even know who I am yet or what God called me to be or what to do, or I'm just trying to figure it out or I know I'm really dysfunctional, you're not going to put yourself onto somebody else. That's not love. 
I'm not going to use somebody so that I can feel better about myself, so I don't feel as lonely. That's not love. Not according to Paul. Not according to the love that my wife and I experience as a married couple in Christ. That's not love. That's self-centeredness. That's selfishness. That's using people. That's manipulation. So you don't start a relationship in high school because you know that's not going to be the loving thing for that other person. Because what happens if you do fall in love when you're 15? What are you going to do? Can you have sex? Not without consequences, right? Kids are getting pregnant all the time. Somebody else in my family, uh, uh, got a, she was, he was 17, he got a girl pregnant when she was 15, they got married, they got divorced a couple months later. And they have this baby. You don't think that that's, those are the consequences? Like he might be doing whatever he wants to do, but that child will live with that for the rest of his life. There are consequences. So what are you going to do when you're 15 when you're in love? You're going to have sex? You're going to promise that you're going to love them forever when you cannot keep your promise. You know why? Because you are a 15-year-old person. Now, not to say that your emotions aren't valid, but don't say stupid things. You can't say, oh, I'm going to buy you a car. Because you're 15. You don't even know how to drive. Right? So when you're going to say love, something as precious as love, biblical love, where I'm going to commit for the rest of my life, where your heart will be safe, connected to mine, for the rest of your life. Because I have character. Because I do what I say I'm going to do. Because I'm going to follow after Christ all my life. Can you say that at 15? No, it's really hard to do that. Because you don't even know who you are yet. It's very, very difficult. Very difficult. Now, there's people that I know that have dated when they were 15 and they got married when they were 19 or whatever. But there was a, there was a toll. The things that they said to each other because their immaturity. The hurt that they caused in each other's hearts. Sometimes, like, people ask me if I were to do it all over again, what would I do differently with my wife? Just to be honest with you, I wish I was more whole, I was more mature, because I've hurt my wife way, way, way more than she ever, ever, ever deserved. My wife is as amazing as you think she is. And she's always been that way to me. She's always served me. She's always loved me. And I've hurt her because of my words, because of my actions, because of my dysfunction. I wish I was more mature and more whole before we got married. Because she doesn't deserve that. For some of you guys that are 15 and you're dysfunctional, you break up over text messages or Facebook or you just like a boy and you just throw out your heart to whoever, that's immaturity. You do not need to be in love. So you guard your heart. You wait for the proper timing. And college might be it. Some of you guys know, you know, after college you have a career, you know where you're going. That's fine. Like I, I totally encourage my college students to date. Sometimes they don't date because they think they don't know how to date. But we'll talk about that later. I make fun of them, but I know I need to be probably more compassionate because that's what love is, but I'm just going to end. I have a little bit more, but I'm just going to end. <clears throat> I just want to encourage you guys to value love, to know what love is. Let it transform the way you think about love. It's no longer an emotion. Think about what's at stake. Make decisions well. Have your friends hold you accountable. Now, this is not a way for you guys to beat each other down saying, oh, if you're in a relationship, ah, you're evil. No, I'm not telling you guys to break up with one another if you're in a, in a bad relationship. That's not what this is about, right? I, I love you and you're fine. This is not life and death, right? This is just wisdom, so just consider that, okay? So don't, don't treat people that are in relationships like in school, just go to school on Monday and be like, you're stupid, <laughs> right? That's not going to help. That's not good. You know, that's not godly either. All right? And if you're in college, you don't have to worry about, like, 
should I date yet? Just get married. I, keep, I went to KCM, Korean Christian Ministry, and I met a lot of girls, and I kept inviting them to come to Valentine's Day because I said there's like tons of like hot guys at our church. Um, but, but, then our, but then our Augusta girls were like, no, there's not. <laughs> They're not hot. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I'm trying to get fresh meat so that you guys can, you know. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I just pretty much uh, wiped out everything I just said. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are the God of love. And we don't mean that in like a, a, a whimsical way. But we mean that in character, in the sense that you do what you say you're going to do, and you do what's most loving for us. And you expect us to know and to love the way you have loved us. And I just pray that you would, man, you would just plant a seed in our hearts, God, that, that when we find the person that we're, we're supposed to marry, God, that we would be able to love with a biblical love with a love that you talk about that's, that's character through and through and not whimsical, not, not, not self-centered, not humanistic, but a love that honors you, that honors others, that, that, that bless the children that come from that marriage. God, I just thank you for every single person in this, in this room. I just pray that you would give them courage to choose well, to choose their, the person that, that you've called them to marry, that they would choose well, they would be brave. God, that insecurity would not be the, the fruit of this talk nor fear. Because we know that you are a good God and all, all your gifts come from you. All the gifts of the world come from you. And so, Lord, we just, oh, we just want to thank you beforehand for all that you're going to do. Just bless everybody in here in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, offering bucket is right over there. Offering bucket is right over there. Um, lunch has already started. Sorry, we went over a little bit. Oh, yeah, boys. Boys that are going to be helping at the Valentine's Day dinner. Boys over here. And if anybody wants to take one of these signs, like taking over, the, touching over the clothes, or touching. Within the next couple of weeks. Finally, thin mints, holla! That was really good. Great. It was great. Oh yeah. I'm still recording. You can. You can.